Peace, power, and prosperity with your family. How we doing out there? Y'all already know what time it is. It's the Bitcoin Block Bully coming to you once again. And this is going to be the beginning of a series centered around DeFi and an introduction, overall introduction to decentralized finance. And this is going to be read from a book that was released from CoinGecko, which is a website that allows for individuals within the cryptocurrency space to follow the popularity and the rates of specific cryptocurrencies. Um, This is going to be broke down into a series of videos as well as podcast episodes that will be available for the public. And we're going to be breaking it down chapter by chapter. In all, there is 14 chapters ranging from traditional finance going all the way down to DeFi in action. So starting off with chapter one, centralized and decentralized finance, the traditional finance institutions, excuse me, this is part one, centralized and decentralized finance, chapter one, the traditional financial institutions. In our attempt to shed light on people's new, on people new to DeFi, We'll start by first going through the basics of how traditional finance institutions work. For simplicity, we will focus on the highest leveraged institutions in the traditional finance system, the banks, and discuss its key areas to see the potential risk. So getting into the banks, banks are the giants of the financial industry that facilitate payments, accept deposits, and offer lines of credit to individuals, businesses, other financial institutions, and even governments. In fact, they are so large that the total market capitalization of the top 10 banks in the world is valued at 2 trillion USD. In contrast, the total market capitalization of the entire cryptocurrency market was valued at approximately 200 billion on the 31st of December, 2019. If you look, there's a diagram showing the traditional financial institutions, the name of the bank, the country they originate in, and their market cap. And it looks like the largest being ICBC out of China. And them having a market cap of $338 billion. Um, And then you have, for those that may be more familiar... JP, JP Morgan Bank from the U.S. having $209 billion. Bank of America from the U.S. having $189 billion. Wells Fargo from the U.S. having $168 billion. And then Citigroup having $158 billion, also originating in the U.S. It goes on to state, banks are vital parts of the moving machine that is the financial industry. They enable money to move around the world by providing value transfer services deposit, withdraw, and transfers. They extend credit lines or loans and more. However, banks are managed by humans and governed by policies that are prone to human-related risk, such as mismanagement and corruption. The global financial crisis of 2008 
exemplified excessive risk-taking by banks and governments were forced to make massive bailouts of the banks. The crisis exposed the shortcomings of the traditional financial system and highlighted a need for it to be better. DeFi seeks to build a better financial landscape made possible by the advent of the internet and blockchain technology, particularly in three key segments of the banking system. Number one, payment and clearance clearance system, remittance. Number two, accessibility. And number three, centralization and transparency. So number one, payment and clearance system. If you've tried to send money to someone or a business in another country, you know this pain all too well. Reminiscences involving banks worldwide typically take a few working days to complete and involve all sorts of fees. To make matters worse, there may also be issues with documentation, compliance with anti-money laundering laws, privacy concerns, and more. For example, if you are living in the U.S. and would like to send up to 1,000 USD from your bank account in the U.S. to your friend's bank account in Australia, there are typically three fees involved. The exchange rate from your bank, the international wire outbound fee, and the international wire inbound fee. Additionally, it will take a few working days for the recipient to receive the money depending on this recipient's bank's location. Cryptocurrencies that power the DeFi movement allow you to bypass intermediaries who take the lion's share of profits of these transfers. It is likely to be quicker as well. Your transfers would be processed with no questions asked with relatively low fees compared to banks. For example, the transfer of cryptocurrencies to any account in the world would take anywhere between 15 seconds to 5 minutes. Depending on several factors, along with a small fee, for example, maybe 2 cents on Ethereum. Number two, we get into accessibility. Chances are, if you are reading this book, you are banked and have access to financial services offered by the banks. To open a savings account, take a loan, make investments and more. However, there are also many more who are less fortunate and do not have access to even the most basic savings accounts. And what you're seeing is a heat map of the unbanked source. Um, what's oddly is there's one little circle dead flat smack in the middle of the United States. I would love to know exactly what state that is or what states that may be. It goes on to state, the World Bank estimates that as of 2017, there are 1.7 billion people who do not own an account at a financial institution. And more than half of them are from developing countries. They come largely from poor households. And some of their main reasons for not having a bank account are due to poverty, geographical, and trust issues. For the 1.7 billion unbanked, access to banking is tough. But DeFi has the potential to make it easier. Accessing DeFi dApps only requires a person to have a mobile phone, or any type of smart device should I add, and internet access as opposed to going through lengthy verification processes or what we in the space know as KYC or know your client, whereas they are going to ask first name, last name, um, possible social security number. And also they may go as far as having you send in a photo ID, either driver's license, state ID or passport. 
Um, it goes on to state, the World Bank estimates that two-thirds of the 1.7 billion unbanked have access to mobile phones. And DeFi dApps can be their gateway to accessing financial products as opposed to traditional banks. DeFi represents a movement that seeks to push borderless, censorship-free, and accessible financial products for all. DeFi protocols do not discriminate and levels the playing field for everyone. And then we get into number three, centralization and transparency. There is no denying that traditional regulated financial institutions that comply with government laws and regulations, such as banks, are some of the most secure places to park funds. But they are not without flaws. Even large banks can fail. Washington Mutual, with over $188 billion in deposits, and Lehman Brothers, with $639 billion in assets, have both failed in 2008. In the U.S. alone, over 500 bank failures have been recorded. Banks are one of the centralized points of failure in the financial system. The fall of Lehman Brothers triggered the start of the 2008 financial crisis. Decentralization of power and funds in the hands of banks is dangerous, and rightfully so, looking at past incidents. Transparency also ties into this. There is no way for regular investors to fully know what financial institutions do. Some of the events leading up to the 2008 financial crisis included credit rating agencies giving AAA ratings, the best and the safest investment, to high-risk mortgage-backed securities. It will be different with DeFi. DeFi protocols built on top of public blockchains such as Ethereum are mostly open source for audit and transparency purposes. They usually have decentralized governing organizations to ensure that everyone knows what is happening and that no bad actors can single-handedly make bad decisions. DeFi protocols are written as lines of code. You can't cheat the code as it treats every participant equally without discrimination, and that is key. So what they're saying is it doesn't matter what your geographical location is, what your race is, your color, your creed, your nationality, or your religious beliefs. As long as you're able to obtain access to a smart device and then gain access to the internet, you're able to utilize a number of these DeFi protocols. The book goes on to state, the code runs exactly as they are programmed to, and any flaws quickly become evident as it is open for public scrutiny. At the end of the day, DeFi's biggest strength lies in being able to cut out intermediaries and operate with zero censorship. So what is decentralized finance versus traditional finance? Friction, inaccessibility, and regulatory uncertainties are some of the major issues plaguing the current banking system. It is unfortunate that not everyone is privileged to be banked in the current financial system. It is tough for the unbanked to compete on a level field. The DeFi movement is about bridging these gaps and making finance accessible to everyone without any form of censorship. In short, DeFi opens up huge windows of opportunities and allows users to access various financial instruments without any restriction on race, religion, age, nationality, or geography, as I stated previously. So, when comparing both traditional and decentralized finance products, there will be pros 
and cons on each side. In this book, we will walk you through the concepts and possibilities of possibilities of decentralized finance so that you, the viewer and or listener, know how to use its best features to solve real world problems. In chapter two, we will provide an overview of DeFi along with some of its decentralized applications to help capture the underlying notions on how DeFi works. And I want to thank those that are tuning in via YouTube and or New Money Matrix podcast. This is chapter one of how to DeFi. Peace, power, and prosperity, family. I'm out of here.